latest guest on Bread of Blue is the first player we've had on this podcast series who came through the ranks at Everton Football Club to play for Scotland. Danny Fox, after leaving Everton, played for, amongst others, Celtic, Southampton, Burnley and East Bengal in India. But Danny, first of all, welcome to the Bread of Blue podcast series. Playing for Scotland, playing in front of the Tartan Army. How did that come about? Um, it was through my grandfather, so... He was obviously born in Glasgow and then it all came to light when I was at Coventry. Obviously, I knew about it years, obviously years before. And um, George Burley gave me a ring because he was the manager at the time. And Michael McBride, who was the physio at Coventry at the time, was um, the Scotland physio as well, as well as being the Coventry one. So he, he was like feeding back to George and the staff there. And Terry Butcher was, I think, yeah, Terry Butcher was George's assistant. And then it just went from there, really. And then, luckily enough, I got called up after I went to Celtic. Was it something that you were always aware of? Because didn't you play for England under-21s? I was aware of it, yeah. But obviously, I was born in England. Obviously, England's as a nation, as a football nation's like the pinnacles to play for England, obviously, with me being born in England and things like that. So it was always going to be that. But obviously, you take things into perspective and... The players, the calibre of players that England had. I played for the 21s and it was amazing. Obviously, Stuart Pearce gave me my debut and I'm grateful for that. But realistically, was I ever going to play for England? I don't think so now. So it wasn't second choice, but international football is international football. You get lads that play for all different types of countries where they inherit from their families and things like that. And it was something that I loved doing. I really enjoyed it. The Scottish fans were amazing. All the players, obviously, there was a few English lads in there. and. It was an amazing experience. I really enjoyed it, yeah. One of my favourite pre-match pieces of music has always been Flower of Scotland. I've been to Hamden to watch um, Gary Naismith and, and James McFadden when they were at Everton. Just give us a little indication of what it's like when you're lining up in the blue jersey and the whole of Hamden Park is singing Flower of Scotland. Oh, honest to God, Darren, I can't explain. Like It's, it's like spine tingling, to be fair. It was like, unless you experience it, it's similar to like... You know the Champions League music when you wear that, it's like gets you going, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Even if you're yeah. just watching it. When you stood there and like obviously the, the Flower of Scotland's being sang by 80 or whatever, however many, however many thousand people, it's something that like still now I think back and I'm like, wow, but like when you're there, when you're in the moment, it's like, oh, it's just it's gonna happen. Hopefully it's gonna happen again. But then when you think back and it's like, oh my God, like it's it's da- it's quite da- it can be daunting, I think, for even for the Scotland players, because the Scottish fans are so passionate. And obviously, with the rivalry with Celtic and Rangers up there, it's it's amazing. And But it's just something that like I'll never, ever forget. And it's it's something that if I could go back to, I'd relish a little bit more and take it all in a little bit more. But when you're in the moment, it's like you're obviously focusing on the game and things like that. And especially when you're playing against the likes of like Belgium and teams like that, and you're thinking about Mark and... Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne are the last thing you might like <laughs> the flower of Scotland, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's probably been pretty similar for the Everton players recently when the fans have really dragged us through games and, and, and that seems to be the case with Scotland as well and it shows the power of the supporters, doesn't it? Oh my God, like, even till, when was it? Wednesday? I was still watching videos from the Leicester away game on, on YouTube and on, on, on obviously the... Everton TV and I'm like I wish I was there I know loads of lads that obviously went that go to all the away games um, my uh, dad's one of my dad's best mates 
he runs like the supporters club, Kenny Sweeney, his name is. And um, I know that he'd have been there and like loads of people that I know were there and he said it was just unbelievable. And I keep going back to it and it's like, I'm watching the same video all the time when all the, like, all the Everton fans are singing at the end of the game and there's lads with the tops off, there's the young lads jumping up and down the seats, there's crutches in the air. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'd love to have been there. But no, it's unbelievable. And the support that the, the, the team bus got from when they left Finch Farm on, was it Saturday before the game when they went down to Leicester? Yeah. With all the players and all the fans and things like that. And I think the rapport that obviously the managers obviously got with the fans at the minute, it's something that I've not seen at Everton since David Moyes was there, really. And I think that's a massive thing. I think you need to have that rapport with the fans. You need to understand them and how passionate the Everton fans are. And we're not called the People's Club for no reason, do you know what I mean? And it's, um, I think it's... I think it's fitting. I think Frank's obviously doing an amazing job. He's brought his own team and things like that. And obviously, Duncan's still there as well, which I think is a massive thing because if anyone understands Everton more than um, more than Duncan, I'd be surprised. And the passion that he has for the, the football club as well is amazing. Just before we speak about your time at Everton, while we're on the topic of atmosphere, what's it like to play in an old firm game? Um, it's like... Uh, it's not it's, it's it's like an out of body experience really honestly God, Darren, it's like weird honestly because when I lived in Glasgow you'd walk through the streets and like you could be playing Hearts Hibs whoever St Mirren St Johnston but they're all massive games because as like David Weir obviously went up to, to Rangers after he was at Everton um it's all they talk about, honest to God, as soon as... And it's similar to Everton and Liverpool. Everton fans more to an extent, I think, because Everton fans' biggest rivals Liverpool, whereas Liverpool maybe see United as their biggest rival. But for me, Everton and Liverpool is the biggest game in the world to me anyway, being an Evertonian. But it's just madness, honestly, that the fans are like something you've never, never seen before, honestly. They're so passionate. And I just... Um, that's another thing I'd love to go back and just relive that them experiences of playing in the old firms. When we scored, I think Scott McDonald scored in like the 80th minute against Rangers at Celtic Park. And honestly, it was like unbelievable. You couldn't even hear anything bar like the fans or lads would be shouting on the pitch and stuff like that. And it's just like, <laughs> on and not in Jeremy. And it was like, it was, it's just unbelievable. And the fans like, you can't, you can't get better fans than Celtic and, Rangers fans, in my opinion, and obviously Everton, Everton, Everton fans are up there as well for me. Obviously, I hate to say it, but Liverpool fans are quite good themselves. But you just touched on Liverpool before, Danny. You started off at Liverpool as a, as a young boy. How did the move yeah. to Everton come about? Um, I think we played against we played against um, Everton at Liverpool, and there was me, another lad called David Mannix, who's at Liverpool. We were both from Winsford, which is obviously about forty minutes away from Liverpool, and. Mick Doherty, it was Mick Doherty, Mick Doherty rang me, rang me dad after the game and was just chatting to me about my dad about it and what I thought about it. And then I had a meeting with Steve Iway and at Liverpool and it just felt right. And obviously me being an Evertonian and things like that, I just always wanted to play for Everton. And when I did, I remember I remember everything about like the first game I played. It was against Man City away, I think it was, and obviously. Wayne played in the game actually, but I think that's the last game that that's 
one of the five, ten times that I would have played with Wayne. It was against Man City away at, um, in Moss Side, but Platt Lane, I think it was. Yeah. I just remember everything about it. It was roasting up. We wore the yellow umbro kit and it was just like, that was it for me then. I'd played for Everton, do you know what I mean? It was like, I don't, like I'd, I'd achieved it, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I know it was only like under 14s or 15s or whatever, whatever it was, but yeah, that's how it came about. And the Liverpool wanted me to stay. Everton obviously wanted me to go there and, I just remember saying to my dad, I was like, I, I just want to go to Everton. He was like, my dad's a massive blue nose anyway, so I couldn't imagine how he felt. So, it was, uh, yeah, that's how it came about. And um, it's probably the best decision I made throughout my whole career to go there. Even at that early stage in your career and Wayne's career, could you see that he was cut above everybody else, that he, that he, he was a special talent? Oh, my God, yeah. Obviously, I'd heard about Wayne because we had a lad at Liverpool called Jay Smith who was went to the same school as Wayne. And um, I think they were good mates growing up till they were about 13, 14 or whatever. And then obviously football takes over. But you obviously heard about him, but seeing it live, honestly, he's like, he's the, still the best young lad. Him and Reese James are probably like the best two young lads I've seen. But Wayne, Wayne by a country mile for me is the best young lad I've ever seen. What was it about him? Just everything. He was aggressive. He was like, he was a winner. He was obviously unbelievable goal scorer. He could tackle. He could he could pass, he could take free kicks. <laughs> like when he played for Everton and United, he was all over the pitch, do you know what I mean? He he just wanted to get on the ball and I don't think we'll see a better, another Wayne Rooney for a long, long time coming no, from England. Apart from Wayne, which other teammates did you play with at Fort uh, went on to have careers in the game? Um Anthony Barry, who's obviously the first team coach, one of the first team coaches at Chelsea now. He played for Yeovil and I think Fleetwood. I'm sure he went to Wrexham as well. And Aki, um, Anthony Gerrard, obviously. Jezza went to, came to, we, me and Anthony went to Walsall when we got released by Everton. At, I think we were 18 or 19. We both went to Walsall under Paul Merson <laughs> at the same time. Um, and then Jezza went on to play for Cardiff, Hull. I think he went, he went, yeah, I think he finished at Chesterfield. I bumped into his dad in the pub a few weeks ago. Tony, his dad, I bumped into him and, um, just chatting to him about Anthony. I haven't spoke to Anthony for years, but he had a good career. Anthony was a very good footballer. Um, who else was there? That's it, I think, really. Anthony Did Barry. you ever get close to the first team? Did you feel that you were you were progressing sufficiently um, to get a sniff? I, the year me and Anthony got released was the year when Liverpool won the Champions League, unfortunately, against AC Milan, when they went 3-0 down at half-time. And I remember being in my mate's pub and I was like, oh my God, buzzing, because I was the only blue nose in there. <laughs> and then he was like, we're going to come back. And I was like, no chance. And then obviously they did and I left before the pens. But um, that we got released that year and um, obviously Everton finished fourth. Liverpool still qualified because they'd won the Champions League, so they automatically qualified for the Champions League. And we were training with them, me and Anthony playing for the reserves and Andy Oldham was the manager. I still speak to Taffy now. And um, we were training with them. And then I remember I travelled with them as travelling sub. Tim Cale had just come that year. And obviously Everton were flying and Tim was like ripping the Premier League up. Do you know what I mean? And he had an unbelievable core and nobody, Mick Rathbone was the physio and he had an unbelievable like, team, like togetherness. And I remember nobody ever really got injured that year. And they were doing really well. Gary Naismith and Alessandro Pistoni were playing left back. And I remember on a Friday night, all my mates were like, come on, we'll go out, we'll go for a bevy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I can't. I've, I've got to go to the game tomorrow. 
to the first team game and we all had to go because we had to wear the suits and go in and see the lads before the game and stuff. But the squad list went up on a Friday before the games. So you're like, you never really think you were going to be in the squad anyway. Well, I wasn't in the squad. And then I got there and um, I got to Goodison Park at about one o'clock. I think we had to meet at half one. So I got there about one o'clock and Jimmy Martin and Sagey came up to me like, you're on the bench there. And I was like, what? He was like, you're on the bench. I was like, no, I, the squad list was up yesterday. And I was like, oh my God. So I was like texting my dad. I was like panicking and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm on the bench, dad. My dad was coming the game anyway because he goes to all the home games. And um, so I was on the bench against Aston Villa. And I remember warming up and it was just like, I was thinking, just please just put me on. I think Bentley scored, Marcus Bent scored. I think it finished one all. I was thinking, just please put me on because then not just, I've like fulfilled my dream then my dad can say that's it you played for you played for Everton now like you're done like you've mm. completed it basically but no that was the closest I got but that year when we trained with the first team all the first team were unbelievable with us me and Anthony and um, we went on the Christmas do with them and everything and it was just like an experience that you can't get until you're in there do you know what I mean yeah. and they were all so good with us Fergie was unbelievable with us and like James McFadden was quite young at the time Tim Cale was obviously reasonably young at the time and Ian Turner as well. So it was like, he made us feel really welcoming and like, we seen that side of it, what you have to be, what you, what it takes to be in around the first team and I took a lot from it to be fair and I really enjoyed it. Did you have any sort of relationship with David Moyes? Um, yeah, a little, yeah, he was really good to me, the, the, the gaffer was at the time. He was like, good to me and Anthony would always pull us for chats and Alan Irvine and, Jimmy Lumsden would always give us feedback on resi games because back then the gaffer and his staff used to come to every single resi game because yeah. there'd always be first team players playing in the resis if they didn't play on a Saturday or whenever. <clears throat> so yeah, I had a good relationship with him. He was really honest with me. And then when I went to Celtic, I was at Hampden Park actually watching Scotland because I'd, I went to watch the game and I was sat next to him. He was like, he came over to me and he was just saying, oh, you've done really, really well. Like, you should be really proud of yourself, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, the best thing that happened to you was me letting you go. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it probably was, to be fair, do you remain? But no, um, he was always really good with me. And I'm, made up, I'm so made up that he's doing really well at West Ham now because I think he got an unfair deal at Man United when he went there, to be fair. You had long spells at Stranraer and Gateshead. They're not your average clubs that you go on loan to. Did you want to get away from Everton as, as geographically as far as you could so you could um, focus on your loan period, focus on your football? The um, the Gateshead thing never materialised, but the um, the Stramra thing did because Neil Watt, I think his name was, was the gaffer and he was um, good mates with David Moyes. So he, um, he, David pulled me and was like, I want you to go to Stramra, blah, blah, blah. They're going to go up from... Scottish League 2 to the Championship I was like right okay so I went at Christmas and I remember all the Scottish lads like Gary Naismith we were all sat in the canteen at Belfield and upstairs yeah Fergie and David Weir and um, Faddy and all the Scottish lads were like Foxy don't go don't go don't go like like basically telling me not to go and I was like do you know what I'm 18 or whatever I can't I've done nothing in footy I can't be like to the gaffer listen I'm not going because I didn't want to disrespect him because obviously he thought it was the right thing for me to do. And so I just, I went and honestly, it was like, it was mad, honestly. The lads worked all week 
because they were part-time, trained Tuesday, Thursday in, in Glasgow because most of them were based in Glasgow. I'd, I'd train at Everton Monday to Friday, drive up with my dad on the Friday to Glasgow and then play on the Saturday. But we got promoted, we won, we got promoted away at, at home to Morton, I think it was. And um, the gaffer had a few quid there, I think, and he sent us all to Benidorm and that was like the first lads all day. It was a <laughs> <laughs> thing I've ever been on. Loads of Scottish fellas just nailing pints all the way and I was like, <laughs> 18-year-old lad, didn't know what to do. But no, it was sort of like, it was something I'd never, ever changed and... Thankfully, I never listened to the other fellas because they were telling me not to go. But no, it was a great experience and one I'm grateful for as well. Was it David Moyes who actually told you face-to-face that your time at Everton was up? Yeah, um, I remember it, obviously. Um, it was the end of the season, obviously, when we were getting told whether we were getting, me and Anthony were getting new deals or not. And the gaffer's office was upstairs, so the canteen was on the right, weren't it? And, or on the left. And then the gaffer's office was down the corridor and on the right. I remember going in, he was like, look, you've done really well, blah, blah, blah. But we're going to, we just qualify for the Champions League. I think it'll do you the world to go going and getting first team football and things like that. And I was like, I couldn't argue with it because I could have, if he'd have given me another year, I wouldn't have played there ever. And anyway, I probably would have went on loan somewhere anyway. So obviously I was gutted and like, few tears and things like that, which is normal, obviously, because of my love for Everton as a club anyway, in, the, in a whole, as a, as a whole. And then it just, it was one of them things that to get ready for going and getting a job, basically. And then thankfully enough, um, Paul Merson's chief scout rang, rang me and was like, look, do you want to come in? I went to Port Vale to speak to Martin Foyle then went down to Walsall to speak to him. And obviously the comfort of Anthony being there as well. So, Anthony had already signed for Walsall, so the comfort of Jezza being there helped me go there, do you know what I mean? Because I already yeah. know Anthony, and it's nice to go into somewhere where you've got like a familiar face. So I went there, and it was unbelievable. I enjoyed it, yeah, it was class. Paul Merson, it was really good to play for him, obviously seeing him in trade. Paul Mer- Merson was, prob- was playing manager at the time, so sometimes he'd pick himself, but he'd come out at like 10 to 3 and just do a few like wits of the pitch and then play up front with Matty Fryer. And it was like... It was unbelievable because they had like Mark Kinsella, Steve Staunton was there, um, fella called Simon Osborne, midfielder, Matty Fry was a young lad, um, Scotty Dan, who's still playing now. Yeah. Scotty yeah. was there. Um, was Merson still a quality player? Pardon? Oh, oh my God, Darren. Unbelievable. I'd, he'd always play on the right against me. It must be because I'm slow, like slug on crutches, but he... Um, Honest to God, he never used his left foot. He just always used the outside of his right foot or the inside of his right foot. And I remember one time, it was called the Delves, the training ground, it was roasting out and the ball's been zipped into him and he's flicked it with the outside of his foot over my head and then just volleyed it in the top corner. And I was like, see, that's just levels like that. That's why he was the player he was. He was unbelievable. And you don't call him the magic man for nothing, do they? When you left Everton, we, we featured a lot of players on Red and Blue on this podcast series. Some players... Fall out of love with football. From the moment that you walked out of Belfield, were you determined to stay in the game? Were you determined to bounce back and show David Moyes that he was wrong? Or, or did you have that little fell out of love with football for a little while? Um, I wouldn't say I fell out of love with it, no, because the best part of football or any sport or anything in, in life is like, if somebody says you're not good enough at something, the best thing to do is, well, I think anyway, is not prove them wrong, but prove yourself right if you if you like do you yeah. know what I mean so it was like I wanted to go somewhere and not obviously Everton's a massive massive football club and something that 
it's a club that I obviously like, cherish, but I had to make my own career. I didn't particularly excel at school, do you know what I mean? So I was never going to go down that route or go and get an office job or anything like that. So it was like that or go and work in a factory, which was what my dad did. So it was like either do something you love or and get paid a few hundred quid or whatever or go and work in a factory. It was a no-brainer for me. And then obviously the more confident you get, obviously it knocks your confidence when you left, but the more confident I got when I was at Walsall, obviously playing against men and things like that and doing well, it was something I, I always wanted to be a footballer since I was a kid, really. So it was not, it was never in my mindset unless some, it was taken away from me, like by injury or anything like that. I was never, ever going to not play footy. Do you know what I mean? Coventry City was your breakthrough club, wasn't it? That was when you really started to motor then, Danny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember it. Of, um, me and Scott Dan went in the same window in the January. Um, I think I went first and then Scotty came about a day on deadline day. I think I went the 28th or 29th of Jan and then Scotty came on the, the last day. And um, Ian Dowie was the gaffer and I went in and obviously signed and things like that. And um, after a, after one, I'd played one or two, two games I'd played and then Ray Ranson came in, the new consortium, took over Coventry. And then Ian obviously got the sack and I was thinking, What's going to happen? Like he, the gaffers just signed me. New gaffers could come in, not have a different opinion. Could have a different opinion on me, and then I'm not playing. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, so we obviously got the sack, and then Chris Coleman came in, and thankfully, Chris got the best out of me, more out of me than probably most managers did. And I loved every minute of it with Cookie. He was unbelievable with me and Scotty and all the younger lads. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a massive club and. I'm glad to see them back where they are now, obviously, and in the championship, and hopefully they can kick on and finish in the playoffs or higher next season. Later clubs included Burnley and Southampton. You, you did get back into the Premier League. Was that was that a little bit of vindication for Danny Fox? Was that like, there you go? I told you I was good enough to play in the Premier League. <laughs> to, in to myself, yeah. Like I would never come out and start saying like, oh, I told, I proved that, like I proved everyone wrong and things like that, but. I was at Celtic for six months. I'd signed like four years there and we weren't doing particularly well as a team and Tony Mowbray was under a lot of pressure. And I remember Tony pulling me and he was like, look, Burnley have come in for you. They were in the January again and obviously they were in the Premier League and I was like, what, what, what do I do? Like, I've always wanted to play in the Premier League. I've never played in the Premier League. I've sampled Scot Scottish football. I've, I loved it up there played in Champions League qualifiers against Arsenal and against Dynamo Moscow and teams like that. Sampled the old firm, but then I was like, go and try and like prove yourself in the Premier League. So then obviously they came in and then I was like, yeah, I'll go. And Tony, would, to be fair, Tony was like to me, if you stay, you're going to play. There's no qualms there. And then he was like, I don't know if I'm going to be here in six months. And then lo and behold, I left. And about two weeks after I left, Tony then got the sack from Celtic. So everything happens for a reason. And when I went there, it was unbelievable. Like, I loved it at Burnley. I met some lads that I still speak to today, like so Chris Eagles, um, Dee Marnie, people like that. And the change room was unbelievable. Like Graham Alexander, Clark Carlisle, Stephen Caldwell, uh, Robbie Blake. How did you find the Premier League? Um, 
I found it tough, to be honest. I made my debut against West Ham, set one up and scored the winner. And I was like, this is it. Like, oh, this is, why, why have I not played here before? Do you know what I mean? And then you go crashing back down to earth within the space. We played Fulham away on, this was on the Saturday we played Fulham away on the Tuesday and Damien Duff told me a new one. So it was like, <laughs> you come crashing back down to earth. He's like really quick, but no, I loved it. Obviously playing against the likes of like Liverpool. I never, never got to play against Everton, which was, I was gutted about because I always wanted to play at Goodison Park in the Premier League game. Never got to play against them. And it was like, it was disappointing, but no, I loved every minute of it at Burnley. Tell us about East Bengal. How did the move oh, wow. come about? What was that experience like playing in uh, playing in India? Um, different to say the least. It was um, it was a culture shock to be honest at the start because you you don't know what to expect because I've never been to India and the whole season was based in Goa because of the COVID situation. So we all had to stay in a hotel for five months. We couldn't leave the hotel bar for training and games. But the biggest pull for me was obviously Robbie Fowler was the manager. I used to watch Robbie score against Everton a lot, do you know what I mean? And it was like... And I knew that Robbie used to be an Evertonian as well, so I never used to let him get away with it, do you know what I mean? And obviously Tony Grant was there as well. He obviously used to play for Everton and Grant, he's an Evertonian, so like I got on really well with both of them. But that was the biggest pull for me, going over there and experiencing it and seeing what they were like and obviously seeing what the league was like. And the league was really... The league was good, to be honest. There was a lot of good players in there, but... It's just madness, honestly. There's no, like, some of the tackles over there, Darren, honest to God, you get sent down for them over here. <laughs> There's no VAR or nothing like that. But it was, um, the people in India are amazing people, really, really nice people, generous people, do anything for you. And I enjoyed it, yeah, it was class. We had a lot of English lads there with us and uh, we had a good time, to be fair. Staying in a hotel other than to train and play, to some people, that sounds quite luxurious, but I can imagine it to be challenging after a while. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, the first few weeks, we were like, oh, this is easy, like, just chill out, train, watch Netflix, have some, like, food. And then it becomes, like, Groundhog Day every day. So it's like we could only eat in a certain area of the hotel because other hotel guests were there. So you could literally walk down blindfolded. You could know where all the food was. You could know what you wouldn't even need to take, like take your blindfold off and know what you were eating. And it it did get to you sometimes. And obviously, I was thankful and lucky lucky enough that my family came over and stayed with me because obviously we went into lockdown over here, massive lockdown, and it was obviously Christmas time. So they came over, and it was it was a godsend to be honest. Them coming over, but. It was just really, really tough sometimes because I'd see lads that I was with that didn't have the families there that were getting really down and like going in, like when we had days off, they'd just stay in the room the whole day. Yeah. And obviously that's not a good thing and like keep the blinds closed all day and things like that. So it was tough, but Robbie made it good. Robbie tried to make it as fun as he, as he possibly could. And Terry McPhillips was one of the coaches there and Bobby Mims, the goalkeeper, he was the, goal, yeah. he was the keeper coach. Nice. And we had a physio, Michael McBride, who used to be the Newcastle physio. So we had a good like rapport of English people, whereas Gary Hooper, who used to be at Norwich, he was at, um, where was he at? Oh, forget what team he was at. But he was in the hotel on his own for five months and he never had one English-speaking player there. And the coach was Spanish, so it's like you'd end up talking to yourself or he said yeah. he'd sit in his room all day and all night and it was, must have been so tough for him, so... 
luckily enough, we had a good good group of lads there. But the standard was reasonably good as well. That Adam Lafondre, I don't know if you remember him, the striker. Yeah. Yeah. He was playing for Mumbai. He had a few lads from Man City on loan there because I think Mumbai are owned by the same people yeah. that own Man City. So it was Owen Coyle was a gaffer over there. I think he's just won the league over there this season, just gone. And um, people disrespect the league a little bit, but it is, it is quite a good standing, but the standard of the refereeing was terrible long. <laughs> <laughs> it was the way I got sent off in one game and they appealed it. And then I found out an hour before kickoff that I could play. But luckily enough, I travelled with lads and I could, I could then play, do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, like, it's just mad, honestly. Your bags go missing and everything. I had that parcels getting sent over, you wouldn't get them. <laughs> <laughs> so 500 games, you've had a, a, an exceptional career. What comes next? You mentioned Anthony Barry before who went into coaching very early. Have you thought about coaching? I did think about it, yeah. Um, Anthony used to be on to me all the time when we were at Wigan, me and Gary Roberts to do our coaching badges. He'd be like, get them done, get them done. And I was like, yeah, I will, I will, I will. But the more I've thought about it, the more... It's each their own, I think, in coaching. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I think you either really want to do it or you, I think you have to be really passionate about it. It's all or nothing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because I've got mates that... Andy Reid's the under-23s coach at Forest, and I speak to him and he's like... it's. There's so much paperwork and things like that that goes on with it because he's looking after young lads as well. It's like seven till seven. And I think if you're not emotionally invested in it, I don't think it's the right thing to do, whether it's coaching or anything, any type of job. So I'm just watching games now, looking at different different games from, my, from one of my mates and just seeing how like teams play, how teams set up because he's going into coaching and things like that. And um, just really just seeing how the young lads are developing and things like that because a lot of young lads now or even when I was playing they can get what's the word they can get um, taking the mick out of a little bit by certain agents and things like that do you know what I mean that just use them and I've seen it first and I just if I can get in touch with like young lads and like try and help them saying I've experienced certain things where it's like People make out the mates and things like that, and just to try and guide them and make help them see a bigger picture, really. Because I remember my foot, like I said to you before, I remember being on the bench for Everton when I was seven, 18, I think it was. And before you know it, it's just gone like that, do you know what I mean? And yeah. like you, you sat here doing a podcast with you. <laughs> you've, you've reached the bottom now the only way oh, that's why I've got this hat on because I've got no hair on top of my head now <laughs> bald and everything Anthony Barry's coaching career has been absolutely prodigious hasn't it he's coaching now with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea it's been some journey from him hasn't it oh my god Baz is I don't say this lightly either but Anthony's probably the best one of the best coach that I've worked with like on the on the field, honestly. Obviously you get managers like Paul Cook was real an unbelievable man manager my manager. Um Chris Coleman was an unbelievable man manager, but he had Steve Keane who's a really good coach at Coventry. Anthony Barry's the same, honestly. The, his coaching's unbelievable. And for somebody so young in coaching who's um 35, the same age as me, Bazes, and to go in there and to command respect from the likes of World Cup winners in Kante and people like that, I think it speaks volumes. And for Tuchel, obviously, Frank brought him in and Frank then got relieved of his duties at Chelsea. 
But obviously Tuchel's came in and seen how good Anthony actually is and kept him on. I, th- I think that speaks volumes for Baz and I can't speak highly enough of him as a coach and as a lad as well. He's top man, honestly. Absolutely fabulous. As are you, mate. Danny, it's been brilliant to see you have such a fantastic career. I always uh, keep in touch. I know you're a big Evertonian who gets as many games as you can. So yeah, thanks very much indeed for your time. No worries, top man. Cheers, Daz. <laughs>